0: Prayer, please. I've been working uh, in my personal prayer life and hopefully here in our corporate prayer life of including uh, more scripture uh, in our prayer lives. And we've talked about that in days gone by in our Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study. And uh, I picked up another resource to help me And this. You know, people have taken the scripture and arranged them. So I thought in full disclosure, you think, well, boy, the preacher was just full of Bible this morning. Well, I'm going to be using a resource from Matthew Henry this morning as we go to the Lord in prayer. where they have taken the scripture and arranged it in a way um, that we can pray it back to the Lord. So would you join me as we pray this morning? We lift up our souls to you, O Lord. Help us to direct our full attention to you with undistracted devotion. Keep our hearts from being far from you as we draw near to you with our mouths and honor you with our lips. With humble boldness, we enter the most holy of all places through the blood of Jesus Christ. Holy, 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 Lord God almighty, the one who is and was and is to come. You alone are the great I am and you alone are the most high over all the earth. O Lord, you are our God. We seek you in all earnestness. Our souls thirst for you. Our bodies long for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You are our God. And we will praise you, our Father's God. And we will exalt you. You are the true God, the living God, the one only living and true God, the everlasting King, the covenant Lord, our God who is one Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. singing together. Jesus is the sweet. Praise the Lord for that. Thank you, Jennifer, for the good job that you do. And Miss Captain, and you work with them throughout the year. Thank you as well. And the boys and girls. And that was just a small group. Uh, there's more than that. But it's a joy to hear them singing on uh, Wednesday nights out here. Revelation chapter 18, please. Revelation chapter 18 this morning. Thankful for the folks back in the audio video booth today. We're training up new ones. And so uh, they're doing a great job. And uh, we appreciate them so much. And uh, you be praying for them. Revelation chapter 18 as we continue our series. As we're quickly getting to the end of our study of the book of Revelation. uh, Looking at uh, Revelation 18 today. uh, Babylon is fallen. uh, Part 2. As you're finding that, think of it for a moment. Many of us probably heard at least once as you were growing up, uh, maybe in grade school, maybe uh, reading at night or whatever. uh, You heard the story of uh, Humpty Dumpty, right? The story of Humpty Dumpty. Do you remember that story? If you remember, just say a line with me, if you would. Now, if you remember, you can say it with me. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. And you say you can't memorize Bible verses. You can memorize Humpty Dumpty. Well, I shared that today not for lack of other material, but it's an accurate picture of what's going to happen today, uh, what's going to take place when it comes to Babylon uh, in our study of uh, chapter 18 of the book of Revelation. Uh, it's going to fall and all the king's horses and all the king's men will not be able to put it together again. And while the nursery rhyme Humpty Dumpty uh, is a made up story, what we're about to read together, beloved, and study together is the absolute truth. So I want you to find your place there in uh, Revelation chapter 18. So I'm praising them for the good job. And I forget to turn my microphone on. Okay, there we go. Revelation chapter 18. I want to read beginning at verse 1. I want to read the entire chapter as you follow along in your Bible. Then we'll come back and unpack it together. Revelation chapter 18. And I'll begin reading at verse number 1. Revelation 18 verse 1. After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven. Having great authority. And the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and the cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues for her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities render to her just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to her works in the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. And the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously in the same measure, give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. Verse nine. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of Gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots and bodies and souls of men. The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you. And all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things, who become rich by her, will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster... All who traveled by ships, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of a burning saying, what is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour, she is made desolate. Verse 20. Rejoice over her O heaven. And you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Then a mighty angel took a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, thus with violence, the great city of Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. The sound of harpists, musicians, flautists and trumpeters shall not be found in you anymore. No craftsman or any crash shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. Let us pray. Father, open your word to us now. May the Holy Spirit be our teacher and our guide. Lead us into this truth, we pray. Help us to respond in faith and obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I need to give those of you who were here last week a quick refresher course. And if you were not with us last week, I need to give you a quick crash course on where we are in the book of Revelation. Because chapters 17 and 18 really should be studied together But because of time constraints, we took chapter 17 last week. We're taking chapter 18 today. And they have the same theme and the same topic and the same outcome. They both deal with the fall of Babylon. Now, there are different elements to Babylon. There's religious Babylon, commercial Babylon and political Babylon. And last week in chapter 17, we saw the fall of religious Babylon pictured as the mother of all harlots Riding on the back of the scarlet beast. And we talked about the fall of religious Babylon. And today we see the fall and judgment upon commercial and political Babylon. Now there's some things that I need to remind you of and tell you right up front. So you'll better understand what we're looking at when we talk about Babylon. First of all, you need to understand right up front that Babylon is both a city and a system. It is both a city and a system. Or we could say it this way. It is both literal and symbolic. Just like we talk about Wall Street and Madison Avenue. We know that Wall Street and Madison Avenue are both actual roadways that if you're brave enough, you can go drive down. But they also stand as representative of what? Finance and advertising. And so in the same way, Babylon is a city. It's a literal city and it's also a system. Now, last week we looked at chapter 17. And chapter 17 has a lot in it. And I think maybe we lost some folks along the way. You know, a preacher hears all kinds of things at the back door when people say, well, there's a lot in that today, or that was interesting or fascinating. That's a kind way of saying I've no idea what you were talking about. <laughs> so the great thing is we get two chapters on this so we can go back and refresh our minds on what we're looking at here and what Babylon's all about. Now, in chapter 18, we just read together, we see political and commercial Babylon's going to fall as well as the literal city Itself Now, Bible scholars are divided as to whether the literal ancient Babylon is going to be rebuilt. Or where it says Babylon here, it, it believes that many believe it stands for Rome. But in all honesty, we're not sure exactly where this city is. But we do know that we're looking at the kingdom of the Antichrist and Babylon, wherever it is, whether it's the ancient Babylon rebuilt, whether it's Rome, wherever it may be, it is his capital city, if you will. Okay, so keep that in mind. We're talking about the capital city of the Antichrist. Let me remind you where we are in our timeline of Revelation. I gave this to you way back. We started at chapter 4, and they're still back if you need a copy. We're during the tribulation period. We're near the end now. We just looked at in chapter um, 16 the bowl judgments. The bowl judgments. And this puts us right up to the point where we're right at the point of the battle of Armageddon. And the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these two chapters, chapters 17 and 18, they don't move us down the timeline at all. Okay? They're part of that seventh bowl judgment. They don't move us along the timeline. Instead, they kind of zoom in and show us what's going to happen during that seventh bowl judgment. Okay? Now, Babylon's destruction has already been mentioned. You can follow along with the screen. Revelation fourteen eight. Another angel followed, saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen that great city because she's made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Again, in chapter 16, verse 19. Now, the great city was divided to three parts. The cities and the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of her wrath. And so what we have in seventeen eighteen is kind of a zooming in. We go from wide angle Babylon's going to fall, so we're going to zoom in and see the details. We're going to see religious Babylon fall, and commercial Babylon fall, and political Babylon fall, and the city itself fall. Now, to kind of help us a little bit more, so we're all on the same page, so we don't leave today going, I don't know about that. Let me share with you some good stuff here from David Levy, talking about the sins of the Babylonian system. The sins. Remember, it's a city, yes. But it's also a system. And here are the sins of the Babylonian system that can be traced back to Genesis. Remember, we went back and looked at Genesis, the Tower of Babel and Nimrod and the defiance of the people against God and not uh, multiplying and filling the earth. Well, politically, beloved, politically, it symbolizes prideful rebellion against God. It symbolizes prideful rebellion against God. By trying to build a tower, Nimrod and those with him, they decided, no, we're going to defy what God told us to do. And, of course, we know God destroyed their plans, their programs, by confusing their language and scattering them throughout the earth. But politically, it stands for prideful rebellion against God. Religiously, it symbolizes the mother of idolatrous worship and religion. And so we see way back in Genesis and we see that still going on today. We looked at that last week in chapter 17, the mother of all harlots. Yes, I was the one brave preacher who preached on Mother's Day on the mother of all harlots. You'll never hear another message. (laughs) You hope like that on Mother's Day. But we're we're keeping our our thoughts going here in Revelation. Then economically, economically, Babylon symbolizes the pride of wealth, uh, the worship of money. And power and prosperity. And you saw that as we read today. And we'll unpack it some more uh, as we go. But kind of get that in your mind. So it's a city. It's a coming city. The capital city of the Antichrist kingdom. But it's also a system. And it represents politically prideful rebellion against God. Uh, uh, Religiously, it's all this false worship and idolatrous worship and religion. And we know that we saw last week that the Antichrist will even overthrow... False religion to set himself up as the sole object of worship. Why? Because when you worship the Antichrist, who are you actually worshiping? That old dragon, Satan himself. The one giving the power to the Antichrist. And then thirdly, economically, it's the pride of wealth. But you'll see all that as we go. Now let's jump in here in chapter 18. And as I study this chapter, I realized I could sum it up in a simple phrase. And I hope this sums it up for you and will help you today. Because my goal of this study of Revelation is to give you the big picture and help you understand the book and understand what's coming. But as I thought about Revelation chapter 18, I thought we could sum it up very simply by saying this is all about doom and gloom. Doom and gloom. Let's talk about the doom first. Doom and gloom. Let's talk about the doom first. If you remember way back during the fifth bowl judgment, the fifth bowl judgment back in Revelation 16, that judgment brought along darkness. Look at it. Revelation sixteen ten. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. And so we have darkness. Kind our of minds us of what went on during the plagues during Pharaoh's time. Darkness comes upon the, um, the kingdom of the Antichrist. Now, Babylon, wherever it is, the capital city of the Antichrist, the beast, uh, is plunged in darkness. And I assume it's still in darkness as we come to verse one today and look at chapter 18, verse one. It says, after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. So picture this in your mind. There's darkness abounding, and then you have this angel suddenly with bright, brilliant light appearing this mighty angel. And unlike the angels that appeared to the shepherds on the hillside so long ago, this angel does not bring good tidings of great joy to all people. In fact, if you look at verse 2, it says he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon, the great is is fallen and has become, look at it, a dwelling place of demons. A prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Imagine how frightening it will be if you were living during that time. And by the way, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you won't be here. You're going up in the rapture. But there will be those who will be living during that time. Those who do not know Christ, those who reject Christ, and many tribulation saints, and they'll be addressed in a moment. But imagine how frightening this will be. In the midst of the darkness, this bright light appears, this angel crying out that Babylon, the mighty, is fallen, is fallen. Remember, this is part of the seventh bowl judgment. We read about the seventh bowl judgment. It's all about this great earthquake. And these great hellstones that are going to be falling, maybe as big as a hundred or plus uh, uh, pounds each, and all the destruction going on, and the whole world has been caught up in Babylon's religious and political and economical and commercial system, and now judgment's about to fall. But God issues a warning. To those who belong to him. The tribulation saints. We've said all along that God is a God of grace. And we know that the gospel will be preached throughout the tribulation time. We've we've talked at length about that. And many will come to faith in Christ. And many will die because of their faith in Christ. But just like he warned Lot. Remember when he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? But there was righteous Lot. We know he was righteous because the New Testament tells us. We would wonder if it didn't tell us because of the way he lived. ended up living. But righteous Lot was delivered. He warns him. Gets him out of there. Sad to say his wife didn't make it, his daughters did. And you know the whole debacle that that fell there. But God tells his tribulation saints to get out. Look at verses 4 and 5. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. He says, listen, my people, come out of her. Get away from her. I'm going to judge her. And by the way, We would be wise to heed that warning today, beloved. Remember what we said earlier? Economically, Babylon symbolizes the pride of wealth and sensuality, the worship of money, power and prosperity, the spirit of covetousness and commercialism that dominates worldwide commerce. These things are alive and well today. There are people living that way today, are there not? They, they worship the pride and, and the, uh, the arrogance of power and prosperity and all those things. We dare not get caught up in the worship of money or power or prosperity. We, we cannot have a spirit of covetousness about us. We dare not take pride in our wealth and in what we have because it's all a blessing of God anyway. But Babylon here is about to reap what it has sown. It appears the angel speaks again in verse 6 and 7. The angel says, render to her just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to her works in the cup which she has mixed. Mixed double for her in the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously in the same measure, give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen, see the pride, I sit as queen and have no widow and will not see sorrow See the arrogance See the arrogance there. Babylon is guilty before Almighty God. So just how bad was Babylon? Remember, it's a system and a city. Look at the last verse of the chapter. How bad was it? Look at verse 24. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. She was busy putting to death those who were followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And judgment is coming. And when judgment comes, it seems it's going to be swift. And it's going to be complete. Look at verse 8. Therefore, her plagues will come. What's it say? In one day. Look at that again. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day. Death and mourning and famine. And she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. Drop down to verse 20. Look at what it says about this destruction that's coming. Verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it to the sea, saying, Thus with violence, the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. Notice this total destruction, the sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, trumpeters, uh, no craftsmen, no craft, uh, no sound of the millstone. The light of the lamp shall not shine. The voice of the bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were to see. This is total destruction. Doom. Is coming upon Babylon. A sure doom. It's coming. But what do we say? With the doom comes the gloom. Let's look at the gloom for a moment. We're told all about here the gloom and the despair and the despondency of the people. And there are three groups especially mentioned in this chapter. The three groups are the kings, the merchants, and the sailors. Now remember, it's an actual city that's going to fall. But it's also a system that's going to fall. A commercial system, a political system, a religious system. Keep those two things in your mind. Let's look at each group together. Notice the response of the kings in verses 9 and 10. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. Standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city for in, what's it say? One hour, your judgment has come. See, these kings, these rulers, these political leaders had aligned themselves with this wicked place. And they lived luxuriously because of it. And these mighty world rulers are weeping openly as they watch the city burn. Now, it says they keep their distance. Lest they get impacted by the destruction itself. Maybe they're watching CNN, or they're watching online, or whatever at that time, and they're watching from a distance. But their time, their time is limited as well. But it's interesting to note that say, in one hour, your judgment has come. And it's interesting to notice they kept their distance and they cried, "Alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city! We put our hopes and our dreams and, and everything on you, and now you're gone. You're gone." And they weep and they will openly. And not only the kings, but also the merchants. We notice them in verses 11 through 17. Verse 11, the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Notice the merchandise that was going uh, uh, being sold here. Merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and frankincense and fragrant and wine and oil and ivory and cattle and sheep and horses and chariots and all sorts of things. I mentioned there verses 11 through 17. In just a short time, the entire commercial center of Babylon is brought to ruin. Now look at how prosperous they have become, selling so all kinds of things. Did you notice how bad it become? It says at the end of verse 13, as it's listing out the flour and the wheat and the cattle and the sheep and the horses and the chariots, it says, "And the bodies and souls of men." slavery. Going on, you say, well, slavery is done. No, no, it's not. But did you notice why they're weeping? Why these merchants are weeping? Look back at verse 11 again. Read it slowly. Read it carefully. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her. Now, watch this next part. For no one buys their merchandise anymore. Did you notice they did not weep over the loss of life? They did not weep over their own sin. They did not weep over those things. They wept because they lost their customer base. They, they wept because their source of income, their source of wealth was gone. Do you see how consumed and greedy they become? The thirst for money, the greed for gain have brought them to a point where life was not that important. They traded in human life. And they wept not because of the loss of human life, but the loss of their customers. Do we not see that in our own day? The greed that goes on over money. We think about human trafficking and human slavery and those who are involved as abortion doctors gaining great wealth over destruction and murder of innocent little babies. And we seem to have a trickle down effect here. As the kings of the earth, they're, they're weeping and wailing and crying because this great city has fallen. And with it all, it's commercial and, and all of its uh, wealth and all of its politics and everything else. And then it comes down to the merchants. And then from the merchant, it trickles down to the sailors. Because somebody had to carry all these goods. And we notice the sailors there in verses 17, uh, the second part of verse 17 through verse 19. Look at it with me. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship. Sailors and as many who trade on the sea stood at a distance. I find that they're all at a distance. Did you notice that? If they'd been there, they would have been destroyed. But they're at a distance looking in. And they cried out when they saw the smoke of a burning saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth for in how long? One hour. For in one hour. She's made so We can understand that, can't we? I remember years ago sitting and watching on the television as the Twin Towers fell. They burned and they fell. And the whole world changed forever. And I see here there's coming a day where God's going to judge Babylon. And in just one hour, they watched their livelihood go up in smoke. Now think about these ship people for a moment. These sailors. They had already endured so much. Think about all the judgments they'd already endured. The sea turning to blood and all those things. And these folks had, I guess, thought, well, we finally made it. We finally weathered that storm and here we are. We're growing rich because of Babylon. Babylon was a cash cow and they were as happy as fish in the water. But now Babylon is gone and they're weeping and they're wailing and they're crying out in despair. Why all these who had lived for themselves... All these who had lived for the world. Now what? It's gone up in smoke. It reminds us of Proverbs 11, verse 4. Look at it with me. Proverbs 11, 4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. All that they lived for, all that they counted on, all they trusted in, gone in a moment. Doom and gloom everywhere. John MacArthur said the fall of Babylon ends whatever semblance of normalcy will still exist in the world after all the seals and the trumpets and the bowls. Life will be totally disrupted and the end near. No more music, no industry, no preparing of food, the millstone, no powerful light, no more weddings because God will destroy the deceivers and the deceived. Maybe they thought, you know, we're finally getting back on our feet. All these judgments have come and all these things have happened. And now finally, look at this mighty city, Babylon. But now it's gone. It's gone. I couldn't help but think of what the scripture says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? How many times God has... Has extended grace throughout this study we've been doing in Revelation. During the tribulation time. But they rejected the grace of God. And now what? All that they trusted and all they lived for is gone. And now what? It Reminds me of the rich fool in the gospel of Luke. Look at it with me. Luke 12, 70-21. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Since I have no room to store my crops. At such a wonderful year. So many crops came in. So he said, I will do this. I'll pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul. Look at what he says to his soul. Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink and be merry. You've got it made. You're ready. Relax, enjoy. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will these things be which you've uh, provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. May I ask you today, friend? May I ask myself today, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Where's your treasure? Are you living for this world or are you living for the next? Are you storing up treasure for yourself or are you rich toward God? Now, yes, God has given us so much and so many blessings and we should enjoy them richly. The Bible talks about that. We should be grateful, we should be generous, and we should glorify God with what we have. But we all need the caution and a reminder to be careful. To be careful with all these blessings. Now, how easy it is to move from having things to things having you. There's a real fine line there, isn't it? It's not been told, right? It's okay to have things long, things don't have you. But sometimes we've got to be very careful because we're walking that line. And before we know it, we're more consumed with the gift then we are the giver. It's interesting. Right before telling the story of that rich man, that rich fool that we just read together. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things which he possesses. We need to understand beloved, that life is not about things. Life is not about things. Now, I hope you get a lot out of today's message and I hope you don't leave with a cloud hanging over you as you leave. But I hope you get this lesson. Life is not about things. Life is about Jesus. Life is about Jesus. It's okay to have things, and God has blessed many things. Even as a church, we have many wonderful blessings from God, and we should be generous. We should be grateful. We should glorify God with them. We should enjoy them richly. We should praise God for them. All that's right. All that's biblical. But we have to realize that life is not about things. Life is about Jesus. You see, if we love Jesus, if we if we love Jesus, we're going to love people and use things. Let me say that again. If we love Jesus, we truly love Jesus, we're going to love people and use things. Because what's the opposite. Sad to say some people fall on the opposite. That's to love things and use people. You see the difference? We're supposed to love people and use things. Love God, love people, use things. For God's glory, for the good of ourselves, the good of others. Not love things and use people to get more things. There's a vast difference. Now what are we saying here today? Babylon's going to fall. Religious part of Babylon is going to fall. The political part of Babylon is going to fall. The economic, commercial part of Babylon is going to fall. The city itself is going to fall, and the destruction is going to be sure. It's going to be sudden and it's going to be complete. And listen, all the king's horses and all the king's men cannot put it back together again. What are they doing? What are the kings doing? They're weeping and wailing. Alas, alas! That great city, it's gone. Destruction is coming. Now, friend, I want to ask you today, I want to ask myself today. Are you living for this world? Or are you living for the next? Are you laying up treasures for yourself? Or are you rich towards God? Are you centered on the temporal? Or are you centered upon the eternal? Are you living for things? Or are you living for Jesus? Let's pray. Your head is bowed, your eyes are closed real quickly. The thing you need to get settled first is that you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. I've told you before it burdens my heart to realize that someone here could have possibly experienced these things we're studying about, but you don't have to. We cannot save ourselves. Nothing we can do to save ourselves. We're lost. We're condemned. We're sinners. But God loved us and sent Jesus to die in our place. He shed his precious blood, was buried and rose again victorious. And if you'll turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ, you will have, the Bible says, eternal life. And you'll spend eternity with Jesus. Is that you today, friend? Do you need to trust the Lord Jesus today? If you do, I encourage you to do it right now. Cry out to Him right now. Tell Him you know you're a sinner. Tell Him you know you can't save yourself. Tell Him you know that there's nothing you can do, but you believe Jesus completed everything that needed to be done. And you trust Him. And you don't want your sin anymore. You want Jesus. and call out to Him. Call out to Him right now. And He will save you. You can do it in a very simple prayer. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died for my sin. He was buried and he rose again and lives. Please forgive me of my sin. Become my Savior and Lord. Help me to live the rest of my life for you. You want to pray a prayer like that? Did you pray a prayer like that? I don't know, just at this moment. God's impressed on my heart to offer this invitation to you. Maybe you're here and you prayed that prayer. If you did, would you slip your hand up and let me know? Preacher, I just settled that. God bless you. Anybody else? Now, Christian, what about you? You say, I've settled that. I know that I'm born again. I know I'm a child of God. Would you be honest with yourself today? You realize you're not earning God's love or favor. The gospel is what has bought us righteousness and the imputed righteousness of Christ. But we want to live lives pleasing to Christ and lives focused on Christ. Would you be real honest today? Are you living for now? Or are you living for eternity? Are you living for yourself? Or are you living for Jesus? Are you living for things? or Are you living for Jesus? We see what happens to those who put their hope and their faith and their trust in things and money and kingdoms and cities. They're destroyed. So I want to invite you today, Christian, as we close our service here in a moment. As we're singing that closing hymn, the altar is open if you would like to come today and maybe surrender yourself afresh and anew and say, yes, I want my life to be not about things, but about Jesus. I want to love people and use things, not love things and use people. Father, we have been sobered greatly by this passage of Scripture. This entire study so far has opened our eyes, I pray, to the reality of what is coming. And Lord, I thank you that though we're studying about doom and gloom and judgment, there is grace and mercy waiting and ready for those who will receive it by faith. I thank you for the one today who made certain that their home is heaven and that Jesus is their Savior. I pray your blessings upon them. Help them to grow in their newfound faith in Jesus Christ. Help them to live for Jesus and shine brightly for Jesus. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray for myself today. Lord, I pray that you examine my heart and help me to be honest today. Am I living for things or am I living for Jesus? Is my life all about Jesus? So, Lord, take charge of this invitation. Have your will and your way accomplished. We praise you and honor and glorify you for your word and for your will. Now, have your way, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning is 290. I am thine, O Lord. Draw me nearer, nearer, nearer. Blessed Lord. Cross where thou hast died. The altar is open. Perhaps you were here and you needed to trust Christ today. I'd love to talk with you about that. Say, so what will happen, preacher? I'll walk down the aisle and I need to be saved. I'll welcome you here. And I'll place you with someone who loves Jesus. Will so take a Bible and share Christ with you. Lead you to the cross. That's, that's the goal. And if you're a Christian that you want to pray, the altar is open. You come as we stand and sing 290. I am thy name. Let's stand and sing.